Well, it's my privilege to speak with you again this morning and to start off a short series in the month of December entitled, The Indescribable Gift. Today is already December 1st, and to some, I think for the children, it's like, when will Christmas ever get here? And for the adults, it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, many of us have already begun our preparations to celebrate Christmas, um, decorating. Clearly, many stores got a jump on it with their pre-pre-pre-Black Friday sales that you've already missed out on, of course. And also, I would say that uh, gifts. Have you ever wondered why we do gifts at Christmas? Uh, sometimes I think... It, it's got to be because manufacturers and stores just want to make money. Um, and how in the world did we get reindeer, snowmen, inflatable Santas dominating our store shelves? Um, I think, although we believe that Christmas should be a time for us to celebrate Christ's birth. Um, for some of us, it's just plain stressful. Christmas time was not easy, and, and a lot of different reasons. We worry about a million things. Um, we worry about, are we going to be able to decorate our house as well as the neighbors? Um, will it look like the Griswolds on Christmas vacation? Um, will we... Uh, be able to keep up? Will we have a great Christmas dinner? Who should we invite? Who should come? Will the dinner turn out well? I wonder if there's going to be fights <laughs> at Christmas. Um, I think we worry about getting the perfect gift for someone. Will they like it? Will it reflect that we really know them and love them? Or will they go, oh, thank you like you've practiced how to do, right? When your kids give you that thing they made and you don't even know what it is, and you go, ah, how wonderful. Um, we know how to fake it. But I think, I think there's another thing. Why do we put ourselves through this? Well, I think the source of some of this has got to be that Christ has been the greatest gift ever given to the world. And the Magi started off the ball rolling, and they were the first three to bring a gift back to Jesus. Now, I don't know if we're modeling that. I don't know if culture has taken over. But I don't want us to lose the threat, thread of Christ is the indescribable gift. And we get this, our, this is the series title, The Indescribable Gift, from 2 Corinthians 9, 15. It's a really short verse but you should be able to memorize it. So this should be a verse that you should have memorized before the end of the year. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Got it? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So although in its purest and best sense, uh, it's amazing, it's wonderful, uh, and during this season, our team is going to try to do the impossible and describe the indescribable gift. Um, it's almost like taking on something that's not possible 
but God has given us some clues. And so as we begin unwrapping the gift together, hopefully we can all take a peek at what God's greatest gift was and why he wants you and I to receive it and open it for ourselves. Now, you and I are probably going to have at least one gift this Christmas that has your name on it. But likewise, God has given you what he has called an indescribable gift, and it has your name on it. So it's going to be your choice and my choice what we do with the gift, receive it or reject it. So together, let's see if we can learn some of the reasons why it's important and why the indescribable gift needs to be received and unwrapped by every one of us. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would illumine the word to your people, that you would remove the speaker out of the equation, but that you would make your voice clearly heard in this assembly today. Would you make your voice the one we hear and listen to? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's message is entitled, God is Speaking. Are you listening? Now, in this message, I'm going to begin to unwrap um, the gift and show how God has been persistent in his pursuit of mankind and a relationship with mankind and the three ways that I think God has been and is still speaking to us in the globe today. And the question still remains, God is speaking, are we listening? So coming up on Christmas, and I begin the message, I want to take a step back and, and lay a little groundwork. I mean, let's go back to the beginning, and not of Christmas, but at the very beginning. You see, we have to always remember that Jesus did not have his beginning at Bethlehem or at Christmas as a little baby. He was and is God eternal. He's always been God. In the first chapter of John, we read, In the beginning was the Word. And we know that's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Colossians, we have a parallel verse that says in 1.16, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before, he precedes all things, and all in him all things hold together. This is who we're talking about in this word. Now the interesting thing, in the beginning, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of anything that had a beginning. God was there. Jesus was there. He didn't just show up at Bethlehem. He was already there. And he was the divine word, the creating word. Now it's interesting to read in Genesis chapter 1, how did God choose to begin creation, to create all that he said he created in these verses? Well, let's read it real quick. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Interesting. He didn't say, and God snapped his finger. He did clap on. He, what he did is he spoke the word. His word had power. His word created something out of nothing. 
This is a powerful God we're dealing with. This Jesus who came to Bethlehem is a powerful God. Now, just like he used his words. Now, he didn't stop using his words when he became a man and after Bethlehem. You'll notice that when he was in the boat with the fishermen and the disciples and the boat was getting swamped, did he uh, think the waves calm? He spoke to them. He said, peace, be still. And they obeyed. His word still had power. He's still God. That's interesting because this God created a perfect world, a perfect environment, perfect man and woman. I mean, it's hard for me to even get my arms wrapped around a perfect relationship, a perfect marriage. No arguing, innocent, no money argument, uh, no family disputes. Uh, can you imagine being there and having no arguments about anything? Anybody live there now? Okay, anyway, I just want to see if there's honest people in the room. Okay? They had a wonderful relationship with God. In fact, according to what we read in Genesis chapter 3, they had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. How is this possible? God is a spirit, right? I think this is one of those things that we hear in Scripture as a theophany, where Jesus assumes bodily form and speaks with man directly, like man to man. And we read this in Genesis chapter 3, 8, and we pick up the same issue because God told man and woman who were perfect only one rule not to break. And it just shows if we get a rule in front of us, we'll want to break it. T tell it, you know, if you don't say a word to your child about don't eat the cookies while I'm gone, they may not think of it. But as soon as they hear that, those cookies are going to be target number one. We just have a rebel, rebel heart in us. But after man fell, what happened? It says in Genesis 3, 8, Then the man and his wife heard, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. Isn't this interesting? It sounds like man was used to having God walk through the garden in the cool of the evening and have a talk with him. And this particular day, man was hiding. And Jesus, in a bodily form, who knows everything, but as a man in a body, he was going, where are you? You normally come right out and meet me. Where are you? This is where all of our problems began. This is where man became hard of hearing to God. You see, according to Genesis 3, man no longer looked forward to his face-to-face -face meetings. He felt shame. He wanted to hide. We're still hiding. We still feel shame. That day in Adam, his spirit died, and every one of ours has been born dead since then. Eventually, he was cast out of the garden, and his body died. All of our bodies will die, too. What started right there is still our problem today. We're still hard of hearing to the Father. We still are not able to have a face-to-face -face relationship because God is a sinless, holy God, and now we are sinful people, and we can't get in his presence. So unless God could find a way, 
to rescue us, we were doomed. There was no way out. So what did God do? Did he walk away? Did he say, well, that's a failed experiment. I think I'll try something else next time. I won't give him that command. No. He started speaking to man and has been speaking ever since, trying to tell man, I want you back. Do you know I'm still here? I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still running the universe. I want you back. It's interesting that we're going to learn three ways this morning how God has been speaking with his creation and what his message is and what he wants us to do about that. Way one, God is speaking through his creation. You might say, how can stars speak? Well, we, we hear about general revelation. This is, what can we learn about God just from observing what he's created? What can we learn about him the way the seasons operate, the way the rain and the sun comes? What can we learn? Well, let's read. Look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech and they use no words and no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. What's he saying? What's the psalmist saying here? we learn that creation is constantly, content, completely, and all the time speaking about God. And he's speaking to a fallen humanity now, and what is God trying to say? Well, in Psalm it says 19, it says, the heavens are declaring. Let me clear up really quickly in case. The heavens is not what we talk about is we go to heaven when we die. No one could see that. How could you observe that as a human? You can't. He's talking about the first and the second he heaven, according to Scripture, the first heaven being the air, where the birds fly, what we see in the sky, the clouds, that's heaven. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is the space beyond the atmosphere, the planets, the stars, the galaxies, the universe. Big. Big. Um, then there's the third heaven, and that's the home of God, the throne of God. That's where it's Paul said, I was taken up to the third heaven. Okay, you have to be taken there by God. You don't get to observe that. Okay, so now what we say is in Psalm 19, he says that the stars are constantly screaming God's message. I am here. I am big. I am vast. Um, it's been estimated that there are 10 octillion stars. Um, that's 10 with 27 zeros after it, if you want to make it. I, I can't get my arm around that, and I think whatever they've estimated is probably wrong. <laughs> I think God knows it's bigger than that, and we're probably still creating stars every day. Who knows? But when you look at this, we're, we're kind of in an unfortunate spot here in the Bay Area. I don't know if you know that for star watching. Have anybody ever been to Texas, Midwest, somewhere, Nevada, where you, there's not a city within 200 miles and there's a clear night? Anybody done that? 
You see stars you never see here. You get a picture of God's glory you never see here. No matter how wimpy our picture is, it's still big. It's still huge and vast. And what, when man looks up at the heavens, God, we, we see bigness. We see awesomeness. It tells us something. It tells us that, hey, there is order. That star is in the same place every night. It says there's beauty. There's immensity. There's structure. There's design. There's hugeness. And our God is outside of all of that. Do you know how big your God is? He's bigger than any of these solar systems. We, we can't even get to the next solar system, let alone see it. And God's outside of it all. It says he can hold this universe in his hand. It, when he created the stars in the Milky Way, it says that was finger work for God. Do you know how big your God is? He's big. And that's what this is saying. This didn't happen by accident. Um, they're screaming out, somebody made us, do you know who? Now, the second thing we can learn in this creation thing is Romans 1.18. Paul tells us, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth, what truth? By their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, one of the messages God is trying to tell us is there's three things in here. One is what you need to know about me you'll never know unless I show it to you. No man's wisdom, no man's understanding, no man's pursuit will find this God. God must reveal himself. And he has through his creation. And his creation says, wow, this is huge. And this is powerful. He demonstrates his power. That's the second thing, eternal power. His never-failing omnipotence. Do you know that God has never failed at anything he's tried? Something we can never say? Something I can't say? I've failed at too many things. Even things I really wanted. Ever failed at something you really wanted? God has never failed. And it's immensity and minute detail. Let's just take, for example, our little son. I call it little son. It's our son. It is 860,000 miles in diameter. It's about 100 times bigger than our planet. It's a giant fireball of nuclear power. It's a nuclear reaction. That's what keeps the sun going. Now, our sun, the reason I say it's small, is because there's another sun called Betelgeuse, not the movie. Betelgeuse is a star farther away, and it's 250 million miles in diameter. A same nuclear reaction. Now, think about this. If we could convert the sun's energy into horsepower, so we could kind of understand, is it like a 440 horse motor in my car? No, it is 500 million, million, billion horsepower. Think that's enough? It's enough to heat the entire planet from 93 million miles away. It's big, 
It's huge. And this is only one star out of 10 octillion that guess who was sustaining and created? God. God is sustaining. Do you think he has power? He's sustaining 10 octillion stars that have more horsepower than we can even understand and have more zeros than we understand. And it's being kept going every day by this powerful God, sustained by his power. It says in John, it says, it's being held together in Colossians. He holds everything together. So now what's happening? Well, this star, this sun, is consuming 4 million tons of matter every second. That power is on display for everybody to see. No matter where you are, no matter what your culture, no matter what your language, no matter what, you can look up and say, oh my goodness, there's a lot of power on display. I wonder who created that. And the third thing we learn about this passage in Romans is creation and nature tells us about his divine nature of God is kind, God is good, God is gracious. In Acts 14, we read, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Sounds like a kind and good God to me. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because he causes his son, whose son? His son, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You notice that God is, doesn't play favorites. He sends his message of hope. He sends his message of who I am. Do you understand? Do When we look up in the stars ourselves, even as believers, do, are we reminded of his message or are we got hard of hearing ourselves? Do we see awesomeness, bigness, uh, amazing God, and he knows my name. He knows how many hairs are on my head. This God is personal. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. This is a huge God who knows me. It should give us joy when to know that that much power is standing on our side as believers and standing against you if you're not. It's interesting. God gets a bum rap, I think for all the bad things that happen in our world, whether it's nature or man's own behavior. And it's the cause of sin. Sin caused this downfall in all of mankind and in nature that we still suffer through. I don't think the garden would have had typhoons and hurricanes that destroyed everything they built. I don't think so. I think that's nature and creation groaning under the penalty, under the cause of our sin. Now, but God gives rain and sunshine, and, and I'm a little bit irritated that people who deny his name, who are a, a, actively opposing God, preaching against God, he still lets their solar power work. What's the deal? 
why don't you just shut them off? The sun works on my house. I get solar power, but their house, it shouldn't work. No, he gives his goodness to the planet, to the righteous and the unrighteous, because he's trying to communicate a message. He doesn't want to withhold it because his message is important. He's saying, I am here, and I want you. Will you come back? So, do you know that God has said through his creation, and whether we're hard of hearing or not, the voice of the creation comes through every day and says, I am here. I am powerful. There is none like me. And I am good and gracious if you will just come. Will you come? God is speaking. Are you listening? Number two, God speaks to us through the prophets. You know, God spoke to us from, with creation from the beginning, but he also determined it wasn't enough. Because we would still never figure out how earth began. We wouldn't figure out who he was, what he wants from us, what his will for our life was, not only by looking at the stars. We can certainly learn enough by looking into stars to want to seek him. I don't want to oppose a God that can create this. I want to find him. In fact, there's passages in scripture that lead us to believe that that's what it's about. Cornelius was a godly man because he observed in nature and something going on that he needed to know the gospel and he called for Peter and God said, I'm sending you Peter because you need to know me. Right? Creation set the appetite but the message was delivered by words through Peter. Same thing happened with what? The Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. Philip, he was reading Isaiah. He looked at everything. He says, well, who's God talking about? I know there's a God. I see there's a God, but how do I know him? And he sent Philip to show him. I think anyone who truly wants to know God by looking at creation, God will send someone to tell them. Now, God speaks through the prophets. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, we read, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times in various ways. See, God didn't just wind up his creation, walk away, and said, well, that's that. I hope that all turns out well. Theists believe that. Theists believe in God, but they believe that he just wound it up like a top and let it go. We don't think so because the God of the Bible is actively involved. He is with us. He is personal. He stayed with his creation, and he did not say that creation alone is enough. If they don't get it from that, tough. Now, we are tempted to do that at times when we give explanations, aren't we? We said it once, they didn't get it, tough. God never did that. And he started with creation, and he went to the prophets. And through the prophets, he revealed his will for the world. He revealed his message of appeal to come and worship him. He told us what happened in the creation of the world, which we would have never figured out if he hadn't told us. In fact, the best we came up with was Darwin... Can you imagine? I mean, I, I'm just trying to explain this back to God when I see him. Well, see, here's how it worked. Uh, there was nothing, and then there was everything, and it just went poof, and then there's all this power throughout the universe that came out of nothing, and we came out of the ooze, and we grew minds, and now we can reject you. I, it makes no sense. The best man came up with was bad. I'll just say it that way. It was bad. God says, here's what happened. I spoke and it happened. 
I mean, what else can we say? I spoke, and it happened. So God is an infinite supernatural spirit. Man is finite, limited, limited brains. I certainly know that for myself. I don't have a brain I wish I had. But he said he chose the prophets to tell men what he wanted to tell us. And how did he do that? Well, he started with Moses all the way through Malachi. And he revealed to maybe over 1,500 years, he revealed 39 books through over 40 authors um, to tell us his message of love, reconciliation, desire. And I'm thinking that we still haven't really grasped. You know people, Old Testament is still good stuff. Old Testament is the word of God. And Jesus said not a dot or a tittle of the word will pass away. You see, my word will never pass away. So we can't discount the Old Testament. Well, that was the old stuff. We're in the new stuff. No, it's still God's word. We need to trust it. We need to listen to the messages of it. Because all scripture was given so that we might learn and apply. So in various ways, well, that's interesting. We know men were used, their personalities, their minds, but we know it was all from God because in 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, we believe that God wrote this book. This is not men's estimation of what they think God would say if he said something. This is God's very words. If he was to come down and talk to you today, this is what he would tell you. Sometimes we say, well, if God came in person, I'd listen to him. But when I have his word here, I just don't know what to do. This is what he would tell you. It will never pass away. It's true. It was true when it was written. It's true now, and it will stay true forever. You got it? True. And so what we're talking about here is he used many methods to get men to put this in writing. He wasn't concerned about the method. He wasn't limited by the method. He said, well, I'll give Joseph some dreams. Uh, I'll give Daniel visions. Uh, I'll, I'll give uh, Abraham an angel will walk up and you'll feed him dinner. Um, I'll have Moses walk up to a burning bush and it will talk to him. Of course, it was God in the bush talking to him. And how about my favorite God even, I think, had a little fun and said, how about if I write one myself? Give me a stone, and I'll write the Ten Commandments with my finger. I'll give you my word personally so you don't mess it up. Got it? So now I think God uses any method he can if we're available, and the prophets were. And so what else? We have poetry out of this. We have narrative, like the story of Joshua or Ruth or Esther. There are stories, narratives in the Bible. There's history, there's law, there's poetry like Psalms, there are prophetic books. Isaiah, Psalms is also a prophetic book. Warnings, blessings, curses. Why? The main goal. God is delivering his message to mankind. You are separated from me. I want you back. Will you please come? Will you please come and acknowledge me as your Lord? That's the whole purpose. Now, over 1,500 years, he called Israel to repentance and reconciliation and their devotion. 
but they didn't listen. And then something weird happened. God stopped talking. I don't know how you would feel in a relationship you're in if the one you care about stopped talking to you. All I know, it's really uncomfortable. It's really dangerous for any relationship to stop talking. And it makes me afraid. You think that would have made Israel a little afraid that God just stopped talking? Um, it should have. I'm not sure it did, but it should have. Because after 400 years after the prophet Malachi, God's voice through the prophets was silent. He stopped. Um, did they not listen to God because he wasn't clear? Do you think? Now, you know, and I know, I've given some dynamite instructions that people still got lost with. And they said it was my fault for giving bad instructions. Now, that could have very well been because I think the best I can do is not very good. But God, do you think God had a problem with clarity? Is that why they didn't listen? No, I don't think it was because he wasn't clear. I think it was very clear. They just didn't want to do it. But Jesus said, I don't care if you want to do it or not. My word is enough. I don't need to say anymore for a while because you still haven't listened to what I've told you. I'm going to be quiet and see if you do it. Now, it's interesting. His word was enough. Jesus validated that God's word was enough in a story about Lazarus and the rich man. Do you remember that story? Lazarus was a beggar. La I mean, and uh, the rich man was the rich man. And the rich man had plenty. Lazarus had nothing, tried to eat the crumbs off the rich man's table. They both died. And it says that Lazarus was taken to the bosom of Abraham in paradise. And the rich man went to hell and was in torment. He appealed to Abraham, send Lazarus over here with a little bit of water on his finger and cool my tongue because I'm in agony. And Abraham says, can't do it. And then this is what Jesus tells in his story the rich man asked next. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. But no, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. God is saying, my word is enough. In this story, he lets us know on no uncertain terms that if God's word is not enough in our lives, then nothing will be enough. You can put, ask for all the miracles you want. If you're not listening to God's word as he said it, you will never listen to what he sends in a, in a message or a, a vision you want. God's word is sufficient and enough. Sufficient and enough. Now, Charles Dickens didn't have that right. He said that Scrooge, because he was visited by the ghosts that came to him, he changed his behavior and he was a new man because of his visitation. 
Jesus said, that isn't true. That will never happen. If they don't listen to what I've been telling them and my word, they will never listen to a ghost. Because in Hebrews 4.2, God says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and motives of the heart. Hmm. Well, God's word from his prophets still is speaking to us today, is it not? Does his word not speak to us today? And it speaks loudly and clearly. We don't need to say that God mumbled. He didn't. So do you need signs? Or are you listening to his word? Can you hear him talking to you today when he says in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. See, God has been wanting us for a long time, and he's still sending out his message of come, 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 come all who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. God is speaking through his word and the prophets. Are we listening? Are we doing what it says? Well, he's speaking to us through his son, in verse 2 of Hebrews 1, we learn that God had not exhausted all the ways he was going to try. But how much further would he be willing to go? What would he do to up the ante? He's talked, I mean, he's created a universe that's shouting his glory. Should that not be enough? Well, then he gave us his word out of his mouth through the prophet saying, this is what I need you to do, and this is who I am, and this is what I want you to come to be so we can have restored fellowship. We lost it in the garden, but I want you back. But that wasn't enough. His word alone wasn't enough. Hmm. So what would we say? I think what we're saying here is God gives now sinners, rebels, enemies, the most extravagant, powerful message he has to give. Jesus, his son, the indescribable gift. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After 400 years of heavenly silence, the quiet night outside of Bethlehem was destroyed by the angels singing, Glory to God in the highest! What happened? Jesus stepped out of the throne room of heaven into the creation he had made and became a created thing himself. He came as an embryo into a virgin's womb and then in Bethlehem was born as a baby boy. God had become man. Emmanuel, God was with us. Do you get it? God was willing to go to what lengths to get his message of hope and reconciliation delivered to a rebellious planet. 
He sent the best heaven had. His ultimate, best, and final communication with man would be his son. And during Jesus' ministry, he reinforced this. The Father himself wanted us to make sure we were clear what Jesus was doing was from him. In Luke 17, verse 5, we read, While Jesus was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Look at your Bibles on that verse, Luke 17, 5. There's an exclamation point from God. You think he's meant what he said? Listen to him. Don't give him the nod. Don't say, yeah, Christmas time. Listen to him. I'm speaking through my son. See, it was the best that heaven had to offer. He wanted to give us hope and reconciliation, but now he could do it in person. The eternal word, now flesh, was with us. It was been, gift had been given, and it arrived. And what did the gift look like? Well, the Son of God started out like a helpless baby. Imagine it. You're God in diapers. Still very God. Still holding the universe together while in diapers. But now we could say, Jesus was here. And God saying, am I clear enough now that I'm serious, that I want you back? Am I clear enough? I'm sending my son. Well, in that verse we read in Hebrews 1, it says Jesus was the exact representation of God. He can't get any clearer. If the father wanted to come down himself, he can't get any clearer than sending his son. In fact, Jesus said the same thing to Philip in the upper room. Do you remember Philip was saying, hey, Jesus, we're, we're down with you. We, we know you're the Son of God, but show us the Father. And Jesus' response was, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I do only what the Father tells me to do. I am the exact representation of the Father. As I am gracious, He is gracious. As I am truthful, I, He is truthful. When I get angry in the marketplace, He'll get angry with sin. Do you understand? I'm exactly like the Father. I can't get any clearer. See, the interesting thing here is in the Old Testament, it all pointed to a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, it pointed to Jesus. And in the New Testament, it's the record that God gives us now in writing of his indescribable gift and God's message to us through his son, Jesus. In the gospel, we hear the story talking about his birth, why we're celebrating now, about his life, his mission to seek and save the lost, his miracles, God's wrath for our sin, fully satisfied through his atoning death on a cross for us. His victorious resurrection. We can read it all. Do we read? Do we listen? In the epistles, he gives us instructions through the apostles about now that you're in Christ, now that you have Jesus, how are you living? 
Let me give you some help. And we have the epistles that show us life and how God wants us to live it. Now that we are in Christ, not more rules, for we are under grace, not under law. Right? He wants us to know because in a father's house, there's a family we're in, and he wants us to know how the family runs. Now what happens next? In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we learn of Christ's ultimate victory over sin and death and his plans for the future universe. And those plans, including the plans for us who received God's indescribable gift, have opened it, and through the righteousness we have received through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are able, and we read, we will live with God as children of God forever. Forever. That's what opening the gift delivers to us eternal life now but it also describes in the same book what is the ultimate end of those who choose to reject God's indescribable gift it's not pretty it's not pretty Jesus said whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son the message that God sent in his own son will not see life because God said to listen to him, for God's wrath remains on them. See, God has given us the most precious thing he could. There's nothing greater God could have done to communicate his love to us. He's speaking to us through his son. Are you listening? Many of us have heard the advertising slogan, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I think God has been working throughout time and used every means available to say that very message. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? God continues to speak through his creation. Do you hear him telling you that there is a powerful and an awesome and a majestic creator God and I wonder if I know him. Are you listening? Are you ready to meet that God? And he speaks through his word. God gives us many precious promises, it says, in his word. His word is life to us. Are you reading his word? Better yet, are you hearing what he's telling you and doing his word? Are we listening to what God has told us? in his word. And God continues to speak through us to his son. This is the key. His son lived and died to show us the father's love and to redeem us from our fallen condition, to remove our hardness of hearing, to restore face-to-face -face communication with God, our father. Can you hear the father's desperate pleas throughout the centuries? Can you hear him say, are you listening to my son? Do you hear his voice? Would you please come back? Would you please come back into fellowship with me that we had in the garden? Because just as he stopped speaking 400 years before the birth of Christ, we read in scripture that there will be a day when God will stop speaking his plea of reconciliation forever.
the plea will stop. And we don't know whether that will happen in our lives through our own death and it's too late to respond to the plea or it will happen because he returned. Either way, God's saying, I'm speaking for a time. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait to receive this offer of salvation and restoration. Open the indescribable gift for yourself, the one with your name on it, the one that God has given to you. See, God is speaking. Are you listening? So today, if you hear his voice, if you can hear him tell you that maybe all you're hearing is, there is a God and I want to know him, that's a good start. Maybe he's telling you, the word has told me I need help and Jesus is the way I get that help. That's for you today. I invite you, no, rather, I urge you, I urge you to please listen to him. Please, open that gift for yourself, the indescribable gift, and don't let God's best given to you remain unopened. Jesus, we thank you for being the indescribable gift. God, we don't deserve such a present. And I thank you that you were not quick to stop trying to reach a rebel race like ours. That you've been patient through centuries. The sky still pour forth the glory of God. Your word still teaches us that there is a God who loves us. And Jesus tells us there's only one way to have the favor of God for eternity through faith in him. Father, may today we hear your voice and open the indescribable gift of Jesus for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.